It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell, the GCI. Uh, Off-week edition. Um, but still lots to get to today. want to thank all of you for tuning in to the podcast uh, the last couple of weeks. And uh, please spread the word. Uh, this is a new podcast, and obviously word of mouth is an uh, outstanding marketing tool. Uh, Tony, you know, uh, we experienced something that we hadn't experienced in, in five years or six years, since 2013, actually. Uh, South Carolina beat Kentucky in the sport of football. Uh, and, and I thought it was very interesting how they did it. You know, they sort of lined up and did to Kentucky sort of what Kentucky has done to them in certain games in the series recently. They just lined it up and, you know, physically dominated on the line of scrimmage and and, and ran it at the Wildcats and, and won pretty comfortably. Uh you know, I, I don't know that this game necessarily solves all the problems for the season, uh, but I think it does give the Gamecocks a chance uh, to get some positive momentum and kind of turn things uh, heading in a different direction than possibly they were before the game. Yeah, you, you never want to go into a, a bye week with a loss, especially a loss that would have moved them to to uh, one and four on the year. So. Uh, you know, not that two and three, or uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, two and three is is that much better than one and four. But certainly, going into a bye week, it's better for the players, their frame of mind. Same for the coaches. Um, and you know, I think it was the way they they beat Kentucky was impressive. Um, they were the more physical team. They looked like the team that wanted it more. In a lot of ways, it was a role reversal from what we've seen the last five years between these two teams. I thought. Will Muschamp and his staff outcoached Mark Stoops and his staff, which, again, I don't think that's happened uh, since the the two have matched up at South Carolina and Kentucky. So um, it was a a good win for the team, Uh, you know, certainly a a major rebound for the defense on the way they played in that game versus the way they played the week before. Um, You know, did have a terrible game against Missouri, but the difference in the, um, you know, the coverage in the secondary quality of the tackling, uh, you know, was was certainly on a, a different level. Yeah, I, I thought so too. You know, and it was it was one of those things where it just uh, I, and and look, I I think that you know some people would say that Sawyer Smith is not that good of a quarterback, and uh, I don't think Sawyer Smith had his best game. Uh, that was the Kentucky QB until the end where they put Lynn Bowden in the ball game. Uh, in kind of an act of desperation, I guess. But I've seen Sawyer Smith play better. I've saw him, I saw him play better against Troy. I mean, I, I I think he's banged up and hurt, and they have some of the same issues that some other teams have right now, where they're just not uh, very good on offense. They got to figure out some things uh, pretty quickly. But I, I'll tell you, I, I've seen teams. You know, when you're not playing good defense, I, I've seen teams that do have less than ideal situations offensively go up and down the field. And that didn't happen. You know, the, the pass rush, I think, was really good. I, I thought that, you know, Jalen Nichols made some mistakes at his first start at right tackle. And I, I think that's going to be an issue going forward. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I thought for to, to kind of make a start like that as a true freshman in a key game uh, was impressive. I thought Holinsky, you know, still wasn't a, as accurate as maybe he was against Bama and, and Charleston Southern, obviously. But, uh you know, through some nice balls, they had the passing game when they need it. Brian Edwards continues to play well. You know, all in all, you know, that that streak against Kentucky has been sort of just a, a big talking point around South Carolina. And, Tony, you know, you and I, 
Uh, we've covered this program, followed this program for years. Uh, I know in the 90s when they were sort of getting it going uh, in the SEC under Sparky Woods and Brad Scott and then one year under Lou Holtz, you know, it was kind of a back-and-forth deal. But, man, starting in 2000, if you kind of look at the Internet era uh, of South Carolina football or college football in general, you know, up until 2010, I mean, this was a – and really, 11, 12, and 13 with the Gamecocks way, too. So, South Carolina won 13 out of 14 games uh, against UK. I mean, that's – I know this streak for me has been just – it's been one where some years I haven't been surprised because I thought, you know, all, in all honesty, Kentucky was a better football team. But some of these losses, I just – you know, as someone that's kind of – I mean, it's kind of unprecedented. And so, I know at the very least – you know, you, when you look at what they've accomplished this season, breaking this streak was big because, you know, now now people won't sit around and talk about it <laughs> all off season, uh, and to me, that in and of itself is a positive thing. Yeah, for sure. This was a streak that needed to end uh, for for more reasons than one. Um, you know, they they it helps them from a recruiting standpoint because they do run up against Kentucky. And, and, you know, some of the guys in Georgia and Florida and some of the areas that they recruit and Kentucky does come into South Carolina at times. Um, and I'm sure this is something their staff has been trumpeting on the recruiting trail when they do recruit against South Carolina. Um, you know, but it, it needed to happen from a, an SEC East standpoint and just a, a pecking order standpoint. South Carolina could not afford to to remain behind Kentucky in that pecking order. And, and if they ever want to take the step to the, the next level in this conference, um, they, they've got to be able to leave Kentucky in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this, see what you think about this. I, people always talk, you know, when things aren't going well, you, you start to hear, uh, you know, just – big picture types of things. You know, I think one of the common ones is the Gamecocks need to leave the SEC, go to the ACC, (laughs) go back to the ACC. Um, You start hearing about just lots of big picture stuff. And I I get it. It's fans just trying to figure out the whys and if there's some, you know, overarching thing besides blocking and tackling and execution on the field on Saturdays that's causing uh, their favorite team to lose. But, but theoretically, I, and I, so I started thinking about this, and theoretically, even with, you know, the fact that this is, a, this is a rebuild and the fact that year four of a rebuild has not gone well, and last year really didn't go all that well either, you can chalk that up to injuries or whatever, you still look at it, Tony, and look at the teams on the schedule every year, and I'll see what you think about this. The, it's what I call the SEC North you know, South Carolina plays Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee every single season. Now, of those four programs, I think that South Carolina is positioned, you know, because everybody talks about how are, how is this program set up or that program set up or whatever, and that's a big part of it. South Carolina's positioned better than three of them, at least from a historical standpoint, and then Tennessee's been a dumpster fire, and there is no end in sight in Knoxville. Uh, I don't know if you folks have read the latest from Jeremy Pruitt up there. Um, it just keeps getting worse and worse. So you got those four teams. South Carolina's pretty much been even with Florida on the field the last few years. I think the Gators sometimes have more talent, so that's five. They play Texas A&M every year, and if you look at Texas A&M's history, they're about an eight-win football team. Everybody looks at their recruiting rankings and the big salaries and the big stadium and all that, and none of the Gamecocks hadn't beaten them. 
But that's not as daunting as playing LSU or Alabama or even Auburn every year. You know, so that's six. Then you got Georgia and whoever the rotating West opponent is. Um, and I think that we've arrived here, and this is my theory, and you can feel free to disagree, because of the erosion at Tennessee, the constant change at Florida, um, the, the expansion of the SEC, bringing in Missouri, um, and some things like that. But, but this Kentucky thing did, in fact, stick in people's crawl. Now, hopefully – there's not just been a start of a Missouri loss losing streak, and I don't think there will be. But but I think that's that's one of the things people don't really realize is when you start kind of looking around. Yes, the Gamecocks have had issues, but I don't see anybody. I haven't seen anybody but Georgia. You know that's on the schedule every year in the conference. You know, kind of pull away and have a gap. I, I think I think things are still pretty much. Uh, there for the taking with, you know, can, you know, a little more building and, um, you know, a rightening uh, of the ship, so to speak. Now, I agree with you. I, I think that, that it is set up for South Carolina. If they can, you know, get the right talent in, excel in a player development standpoint, um, you know, that, that there is the opportunity for South Carolina to, to become maybe the number two team in the SEC East over time. But certainly things have to, to be done better than they have been so far this season. Um, and I think next year is going to be a, a big year um, for South Carolina from in, in terms of whether they're, they're getting closer to tech, taking that next step. And, of course, how they finish this year, too, also matters in that equation. Um, but. Uh, I, I think you know the SEC East has been bad, quite frankly, for a while now, um, especially compared to the SEC West. And you know, like you said, a lot of that can be traced back to Tennessee's um, drop, uh, Florida's drop, um, and and there really hasn't been another team that that stepped up to take their place. So um, the opportunity is there in the East, but it has to you have to get it done in recruiting, and you have to get it done on the field, and and uh, you know beat these teams when you line up with them head to head. Sure, sure, and uh, yeah, I want to tell everybody out there. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that. You know, I, I'm talking generally from a you know program standpoint and all that. I, I, I agree with Tony completely that there's definitely, definitely work to be done. Two bye weeks this week, Tony. This is the first one uh, South Carolina gets them before Georgia and before Clemson. I think that's pretty interesting, and and I guess that's what you kind of want. Um, your opinion is is it better after you have a a win like that to where you can feel good finally about yourself and you know you do have some positive momentum is it is it is it detrimental at times to maybe have a bye week or you know what's your feel on it i mean if you talk to players and coaches i think they give you 14 different answers about this but uh you know it still is an interesting topic um, I know just kind of after the game Saturday, I was like, well, shoot, I'd, I'd like to see them go right back out there and play because um, they got some momentum now. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know the real answer. What, what's your take there? Yeah, you know, I don't know that there is a right answer to that question on the bye week. Like you said, they did have some momentum on the field, so there may have been some benefit to playing again the next week. But I, I think you need a bye week around this time of year if for no other reason to let your team get healthier. And, you know, South Carolina has been more fortunate on the injury front overall this year than they were last year for sure. But you still have, you know, guys who are sore and guys who are playing through minor injuries that may slow them down here or there. I mean, you, you need this week to recover, uh, especially going into a, a game like Georgia in Athens that you know is going to be physical and you know, you're going to have to play as fast as possible to have a chance in that game. So 
Um, I, I think you know the timing of it is still pretty good overall, and you would you would hope that that South Carolina can can put a healthier team out there with a a week break um, than than they might have it had they had to play the next week. Yeah, one of those guys that's got an ankle injury that's kind of kind of I guess you know rest this week. Um, I guess he was running today, but not practicing today, according to Will Muschamp, is Rico Dowdle, and uh, it kind of transitions to our next segment here, our next topic. Tony, I think Rico Dowdle's playing better than I've ever seen him play. I mean, I know he was good as a freshman. He had some moments. I, I think that guy's just running at, at a different level. Um, and I think he has all year. I think Missouri, it was kind of hard to tell, but I think the rest of the games, you watch him, looks like he's shot out of a cannon, looks like he's finding his holes, his vision is good. He appears healthy, hopefully. Um, I know he had an ankle during preseason training camp a little bit, um, but it sounds to me like it's more of a precautionary thing. Uh, I think they're going to need him against the Bulldogs in a major way. They're going to need the Rico Dowdle that uh, we've seen a lot this year uh, if they're going to have any chance uh, to go into Athens and win. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, you're right about that if it's his thing. And when you watch he and Tavy and Feaster last weekend, uh, you know, I thought that was an, an outstanding you know, performance not only from a production standpoint, uh, but from the standpoint of those guys running hard, getting extra yards, running physical, using their talents, that type of thing. Yeah, I think South Carolina's on to something here with these two guys. I do think they need to get the ball, um, but I think that uh, that's probably something that they found uh, with the offense that can take pressure off Holinsky, uh, that can, you know, maybe have some more ball control and drives, things like that. Yeah, and I agree with you on Rico Dowdle. You know, he has uh, played at a high level this year. When he's gotten his touches, he has produced. Uh, he's confident, and you can see him in that Kentucky game. You can see him getting more and more confident every time he touched the ball. Uh, he and Feaster both have shown a, a, a really good ability to run through contact and pick up yards after contact, and that's obviously very important in a conference like the SEC. And I think they're, they are a nice one-two punch for sure. And I like the adjustments the coaches made with those two, with running less RPOs and, and being more committed to running the football and, and you know imposing their will on Kentucky. And doing that to Georgia obviously is going to be different. Um, but I think you know, like the the fact that that Dowdle and Feaster can run through those initial tackles uh, to continue to pick up yards, sometimes a lot of yards after missing those tackles or breaking those tackles. Uh, is something they're going to need again this week against Georgia and 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 going forward this season. Sure, yeah, and and I think I think Dowdle's catching the ball better too. He doesn't have, doesn't seem to have the drops, hadn't had the fumbles. Ball security's been there, um, and, and I think Tavy and Feaster, you know, and I I don't know. To me, when I when I watched him against Kentucky and I've watched him in some South Carolina games this year, and it it may be as simple as in my mind the color of uniform kind of throws me off a bit. But but he looks like a, kind of a little bit of a different back than he was at Clemson last season in 2018. He looks a little leaner, a little quicker, uh, and looks like he runs a little more physical, Tony. I, I think that uh, Thomas Brown's done a really good job with him in the short time he's had him to, you know, make him a little bit more of a, a different type of back um, than he necessarily was at Clemson. You know, I, the the physicality of his running, specifically on the perimeter, uh, when he gets out there, maybe he's got a you know stiff arm, a defensive back, or run over. But I think that's uh, 
that's not something that I saw out of him at Clemson frequently, uh, especially last season. So I, I think there has been some improvement there um, compared to what he was previously. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways he looks like a guy who is running for his NFL future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he wants to do everything he can to, to give himself an opportunity to play at the next level. He knows a lot of eyes are on him and that um, you know scouts are watching, and, and I think he, he looks like a guy who's cherishing every carry he gets and wants to, to get the absolute most out of, the, uh, out of every time he touches the football. And I think that in a, in a lot of ways his presence has – uh, motivated Dowdle to, to approach things the same way. And I think they've been good for each other. I think they, they seem to have a good relationship and, and are pushing each other in practice, pushing each other in games. And, and, and I think it, it only helps South Carolina's offense to, to have two guys who can do that with each other. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I kind of look at it and, you know, I even think Mon Denson's playing well and he's gotten better since last year. And, you know, Quite frankly, before Tyson Williams got hurt at BYU, I thought he was having a pretty good year. So uh, a lot of these running backs, you know, uh, I think tend to save their best for last. You know, you even look at David Williams when he went out to Arkansas and had the big senior year and got drafted. But, yeah, it's a position where production matters. There's a lot of running backs out there. The NFL isn't really picky on a lot of guys. They kind of – They'll take a guy that's in the fifth and sixth round, and he'll end up being your starter in a few years because they wear down. But I, I think that's to the benefit of the Gamecocks running game that these two guys are extremely motivated and running very violently uh, this year. Um, you know, because that's that's the way you get extra yards, especially in this league. Because <laughs> you know, it's uh, you're going to face some defenses that are going to bring the heat. So part of that running game, Tony, is going to be Jalen Nichols. And, you know, Jalen Nichols is a guy that committed way early. Um, I know some schools, the SEC schools, Tennessee, I think, came in, tried to flip him. Georgia, I think, tried to talk to him about being a defensive lineman. Um, North Carolina was the school that really came in when Matt Brown got there and tried to flip him. Stuck with the Gamecocks. Great evaluation. I thought he was tremendously undervalued when you look at what he is and what he can be. Uh, as a three-star, but he's got a start now, and I, I, I thought his debut for a freshman offensive tackle was good. Um, but moving forward, Tony, you know what, what are your what are your thoughts about this guy? I, mean, I, I think his future's bright, but you're talking about Georgia, you're talking about Clemson, you're talking about Texas A&M, you're talking about Florida, and Florida, you know. They will blitz from all over the field, uh, you know, and they had 10 sacks against Miami earlier this year. I mean, you're talking about some teams that are really going to challenge that. Um, but, you know, Dylan Wanham is what he is. He's hurt. So what do you what do you think about Jalen Nichols? Or could there be another solution uh, at right tackle if, if Nichols isn't quite ready to go? I, I think it's going to be Nichols' job uh, until Wanham returns. And, you know, you – you would hope that he, he – I'm sure he already has been in the film room with Eric Wolford to, to see what he did right, what he did wrong in that opener. He has a week extra to work on things before Georgia, and you know he's obviously going to get an even bigger test in Athens playing on the road uh, in front of a hostile crowd. It, it, it makes things tougher on, on an offense, especially the, the quarterback and the offensive line because they you know, can have a hard time hearing. You know, maybe the, the noon kick helps there to some degree versus a night game. Um, but he, he's going to be tested. But you know he's been there since January. Uh, he was an early enrollee and has has worked a lot with Derek Wolford as a guy the coaches are high on and believe has a very bright future. 
And, and and this is his time. You know, do I think he can go out there and, and play as well as as Dylan Wanham? No, uh, but but I do think he's the kind of kid who's going to learn from his first start and and build on the things he did right and and work on fixing the things he did wrong. And and um, you know, he seems to fit in well from a a style standpoint and a, a just a you know physicality standpoint. He's he looks like the other guys out there. It's not like he's undersized and not strong enough and, and you know, is, is getting overwhelmed physically. It's just more the mental side of things and, and, and just needs more reps. Yeah, I tell you, physically, that guy, and Muschamp said this the other day at his press conference, that physically there's just no no problems with him at all. He's, I think he's got a really bright future, and I've, I've always thought – you know that that he was a guy that eventually could be a big time guy. Uh, they got him out of Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. I think Myers Park was the school. Yep, Myers Park. So the right side, I think, of South Carolina's offensive line is from Charlotte, North Carolina. You got Joe Vaughn Gwynn and uh, and Jalen Nichols now, and if you have Eric Douglas out there in certain situations, you you uh, you have three guys from Charlotte on the offensive line. So I think that's that's kind of interesting. Um, but that's just kind of kind of the way it's gone. So have you seen what George is doing with the LED lights at home with their night games now? I saw a little bit of it. I, I haven't seen a lot. I saw some people talking about it online as well. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty sick. <laughs> Just to describe it, I mean, I was watching their game with Notre Dame and and look, I've I've been to Sanford Stadium a bunch. I've been to games there. I've been to watched a lot of Georgia football over the years, Tony, but I've never really seen anything like this. I think this is going to be something that's going to be really interesting. And you know, people wonder why Alabama's complaining about not having night games. They they installed the same thing. It basically turns the whole stadium red, which is just weird. Um, but it's it's very effective <laughs> because those people were going crazy. I mean, that atmosphere. For that Notre Dame game, just watching it on TV was one of the had to be one of the best ever. So I do think the Gamecocks have have, have got some good luck by not having to go down by having to go down there and play right at noon. I mean, you know, I, I can't even remember the last time Carolina Georgia kicked. I mean, I, I'd almost think you'd have to go back to the nineties. The last time Carolina and Georgia kicked at noon, it's it's usually no later than three. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, but. I don't recall a new – well, I take that back. 2010, Marcus Lattimore's game in Columbia. That game did kick at noon. I do remember that now. But that's – going down there like that, I I do think it's going to be a different atmosphere, you know, during the day than it is at night, just based on what I saw uh, with the Notre Dame game. Well, speaking of the state of Georgia, Tony, Gamecocks continue to recruit that – Tends to keep going well, and and you know we talk about atmosphere. I thought the I thought the I want to give a shout out to the Gamecock fans at Williams Bryce Saturday night because I, I thought for a one in three football team uh, against Kentucky, the the fans really showed up. They were loud. Uh, obviously, impacted the game. It was a good crowd. But uh, Laneth Whitehead, out of uh, right there in Athens, Georgia, uh, looks like we talked about him in a, a couple episodes ago. Looks like the Gamecocks have kind of gotten out in front uh, of the Tennessee Volunteers with him. And I, I just think that's big. We talked about the, the SEC East earlier. I, I think, you know, yeah, you, you always want to beat Georgia on kids, keep kids from going to Georgia or Clemson or, or schools like that. But what, what you really want to do is keep kids from going to Tennessee and Florida, uh, especially these guys in Georgia. 
Uh, this is a four-star guy. This is a, uh, a guy that I'm high on as a prospect, and this was a guy that was heading to Knoxville uh, until – you know, the Gamecocks kind of came from behind, and, and now I think South Carolina has the lead. Do you think that would be fair to say? Yeah, I do. You know, they, they had him on campus, um, you know, two visits in a row, first for an unofficial visit for the Alabama game, and then he returns uh, over the weekend for an official visit. I think he really liked the plan that South Carolina laid out for him, um, you know, giving him the opportunity to play running back or linebacker, depending on where he believes he would fit best and where the coaches feel like he would fit best once they get him on campus. Uh, he really has has uh, bonded well with, with Coleman Hutzler uh, and, to a lesser degree, Thomas Brown, the running back's coach. He really likes the staff. I think felt very comfortable around the coaches. His mom was with him. She felt the same way, um, you know, very comfortable and, and felt at home. And that's always a, a big thing when you hear – recruits talking about feeling at home that that's typically a, a very good sign so um you know the, the the wild card in the entire equation of course is is how south carolina finishes the rest of the season and you know what happens from there um in, in terms of any potential coaching changes or things like that so you know but i think if he was picking today it would be south carolina it looks like he's going to visit wisconsin officially and then make his decision after that and i'm sure wisconsin is going to sell him on playing running back for them and they've had so much success with with the, the bigger running backs, and 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 would have a, a, a good story to sell him from that perspective. But uh, I think that's going to be a long way from home. I don't know that he would be real fired up about the weather up there, uh, and I don't know his mom wants him to go that far from home. So uh, I think in the end, South Carolina is in a very good position and has a chance to to close the deal with him. Yeah, I, I think so too. And uh, yeah, I I think he's a running. Oh, sorry, I think he's a linebacker more so than a running back. But I. I I wouldn't rule out running back for him either. I, I think that, you know, it just kind of depends on what he does when he gets to college, if you want the truth. I I do think if you project him as a linebacker, if you look at, you know, Whitehead and Muhammad Kaba as kind of a two-man linebacker class, I think that's stout. And, and I think that's good for South Carolina when he can go into, you know, bordering states and pull two guys like that. Um and I think it will be very interesting to look. You know, Georgia got a commitment from a five-star linebacker out of Washington, D.C., um, who as a sophomore I thought was the top five player in the country, who now I think has grown into a defensive end. Um, this kid's in Athens, uh, had kind of a Georgia quote-unquote offer early. So I'm going to be interested to track this and see because I'm always of the philosophy that you know, sometimes you go chasing stars other places. And um, you got guys in your backyard that go to teams you play every year, and it can come back and bite you. Now, it hadn't yet, but uh, I'm going to be interested to see if Whitehead does end up at linebacker, who ends up better, and you know all that good stuff. So, so that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Speaking of Wisconsin, have you seen the, um, what they're doing up there? They've got the uh, they got this formation where they they all, they have seven offensive linemen on the field at the same time and two in the backfield as, as fullbacks, and then they just give it to the running back and <laughs> these two big guys just plow through and it's a touch I've it's the most Wisconsin formation I've ever seen in my life I was like wow you know but I, I was uh I was like go check that I out, haven't man. seen them play all year so I haven't seen that formation but it, like you said that that definitely sounds like something they would do <laughs> it's like man there's a guard and a tackle in the backfield and then they got their running back and it's just boom it, it, it's unbelievable but uh Certainly think Wisconsin's a pretty good football team this season, probably until they play Ohio State, just like it is every year. All right, so speaking of running backs and teams that are good at 
evaluating running backs. I always thought Pitt was pretty good at that. If you think about it over the years, Pitt, you know, obviously they had Tony Dorsett back in the day and Craig Ironhead Hayward and all those guys. But, you know, in, in recent years they do they come up with some guys. And um, Pat Narduzzi, obviously coming from the Michigan State coaching tree, is good at evaluating. So they have this guy, Henry Parrish, that's committed to them. And he's been committed to them for a while. And, you know, South Carolina offers over the summer – you look at his measurables, he's like 5'10", 173. You look at his 40, it's like 4'7", and you're like, ah, you know what? what? You kind of question it. I didn't go, ah, but I, everybody else kind of on the message boards did. <laughs> but I was kind of like, hmm, I wonder how good. Well, then you turn on his film, Tony, and he's really, really good. I mean, I, I, I was like, wow, I was, I was floored. So he visits South Carolina. Um, you know, he's – had some good things to say about the Gamecocks. There is talk. He's told some other – or told some reporters, told some folks with us that he may shut down visits and just decide between Pitt and Carolina. Um, there are some other schools like Ohio State that have tried to come in on him. Um, I'm just going to say this and uh, see if you agree. I, I I think this would be a very, very big pickup for the Gamecocks based on his film, based on the other schools that are interested now. Based on the fact he's from South Florida, and a lot of those guys down there are, are pretty much ballers when it comes to skill positions and running backs, um, and based on the need at running back all of a sudden. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's probably up to about 185 now, could get up to 190, 200, and could get on the field next year because of all the seniors Carolina's losing um, at that position. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a guy who is is set to move up in the recruiting rankings. Um, you know, after the season, with the year he's had, his his film is is very impressive against very high level of competition. Um, and he's much like Whitehead. You know, he was the other official visitor in over the weekend, and he just he really liked the plan that South Carolina laid out for him. Um, you, know, you you couldn't ask for a better depth chart with with South Carolina having, you know, three seniors at running back and in. in Feaster, Dowdle, and Denson, and then even A.J. Turner, if you put him in that mix, even though he's not really playing running back right now, um, you don't really know what's going to happen with Deshaun Fenwick. He you know, really has not been a factor at all this year. Is he a guy who could look to transfer in the offseason? You know, so it's possible that Kevin Harris could be the only returning running back for South Carolina. So there's a, an opportunity. They already, they already have Marshawn Lloyd committed, but this, this is definitely a class where they need two good backs. And, and not only do they need two good backs, they need two guys who are ready to play next year. So uh, I think the Gamecocks had a really good story to sell him, and, and Thomas Brown has, has been recruiting him going back to his Miami days. So he's you know, there's a, a lot of trust there and a, a relationship that was already in place when, when Brown made the offer. So, um, you know, Tank Bigsy was the guy that everyone wanted earlier in the process. But if they can get Parrish, I think that would be a, a nice alternative. And it'll be interesting to see how those two compare uh, over the course of their college careers if it does shake out that way. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know if Tank Bigsby, I mean, looking at Auburn's depth at running back right now, I, I don't know that – I mean, I guess Auburn uses a bunch of them. But uh, there's some guys over there that are going to be there a while that are pretty doggone good. You know, staff's on the road this week. Uh, there's a bye week. So, so you know, they, they talked about working on things. They're practicing, I think, practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, I, I think, Tony, you know, the, there are two things that come to mind for me as far as, like, if, if there's a way to work on it during the, the bye week. I think, um, I think efficiency on offense 
by that I mean, you know, I'm a little concerned about Ryan Halinski's accuracy uh, at this point, although it, it did get better against Kentucky and he didn't have that many attempts. But, you know, he he's a guy that uh, – and, and you don't know about his elbow, but I think they need to be more – they need to make sure they're crisp in the passing game um, on offense. And, and then defense – you know, I, I still think that uh, it's in the secondary and getting those assignments down and, and things of that nature. I, I think that, you know, no matter what they use, I think that's uh, like formation-wise. Um, I think those are the two things they probably need to to, to get better at this this off – I'm sorry, this bye week uh, as they head into the final seven games of the year. Yeah, I would agree, especially looking ahead to the Georgia game. Ryan Helensky is going to need to play well. You know, they can't have the Ryan Helensky who showed up at – in Missouri show up in Athens and expect to, to even be in the game in the second half. So they need him to play well. Uh, they need, and I think this, this bye week comes at a good time for him with the tendonitis in his elbow, give him a chance to rest that arm some and, and potentially be, you know, even fresher when that game does roll around next weekend. Um, you know, South Carolina had a lot of success defensively with the four three, having three linebackers on the field against Kentucky. And I think you're going to see that again against Georgia with their offense and, and their desire to, to run the ball more than they throw it. And a lot of their passing game is, is you know, short passing game. They, they haven't really thrown the ball down the field a lot this year. So uh, I think you're going to see, you know, Sherrod Green on the field a lot with uh, the other two linebackers, Ernest Jones and TJ Brunson. And, and um, you know, uh, right now, I would say Green is looking like one of the most improved players on defense from from last year to this year, and and, and they're going to need him to have a good game and, and to to really go into Athens and uh, ready to to make some plays against those talented running backs. I, yeah, I'm with you. I think Sherrod Green has really, I mean, athletically, I never really questioned it. He looked lost last year, I'm just completely lost. I think moving him back to the Sam, it's where he played as a true freshman, was probably a good deal. Um, you know, when they use a Sam, but definitely Georgia. Georgia's not Georgia's not coming out there, you know, gunning it all over the field. You know, they're not the the '96 Florida Gators out there. So it's uh, I, I think a four three is perfect. Um, and if they can they can master that, that's fine. And you look down the road. I mean, Tennessee's not a real big spread team. That's the Jim Chaney offense. And you know, quite frankly, I'm kind of wondering what the heck they do up there. Uh, that doesn't look like Cheney's previous offenses, but um, A&M's more pro style than they used to be. You know, Clemson's really the only spread team besides App State, which is going to be a big one um, uh, later this year. And, and kind of, Tony, you know, as we think about the last seven games, you know, as we think about it down the stretch, uh, I've been looking at it, and, and I think that while – it was perfectly legit that people said South Carolina had the toughest schedule in the country coming into the season. I just I don't know that it is anymore. It's probably still top five because um, I look at Texas A and M and they have to play Clemson, Georgia, Bama, LSU, and Auburn. <laughs> Jeez, um, and um, I look at some other schools that have tough schedules as well, and and I start to kind of see, you know, Kentucky probably wasn't as good as people thought. I mean, I think they. I don't know that Kentucky will go to a bowl. Um, I think they're probably a four and eight type team right now, especially with the quarterback issues. Tennessee's definitely not as good. People were talking about them having the breakthrough year. Um, App State's probably just as good. Vandy's the worst team in the SEC, in my opinion. Um, Texas A&M's not as good. Uh, Florida's going to be interesting. 
because uh, we'll see kind of what they do against Auburn and LSU the next two weeks. Uh, I have been impressed with their ability to kind of win close games. But it looks like, you know, with the exception of Georgia and Clemson, I don't know that South Carolina, even at two and three, Tony, or like massive underdogs uh, to any of these teams. And I'm not saying that that means the Gamecocks are great. I'm just saying that there's a lot of parity. You want to kind of look at the the rest of the teams on the schedule outside of Athens, trip to Athens, and then the the game at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think that – there's a lot of winnable games and there's a lot of losable games mm-hmm. for South Carolina. A lot of a lot of games that fall into the the swing game category left on this schedule. Um, you know, you mentioned who Florida has to play prior to them playing South Carolina. I think that that works in the Gamecocks' favor with you know how physical those two teams or two games are likely to be against Auburn and LSU, and um, and then you know Tennessee and Vanderbilt are what they are right now. You know, you, it's never easy to win at Tennessee, but. I, I think South Carolina is the better football team overall right now. Uh, so we'll see how that one shakes out. They should beat Vanderbilt. Uh, App State is, is a dangerous game, and I felt that way really even before the season, uh, just you know, with the, the style of offense they run, the, the success they've had the last three or four years as a program. There's no question in my mind they're going to come into Williams-Brice Stadium believing they can win that football game. And if, if South Carolina takes them lightly, they could, they could easily lose that game. So that's a, a dangerous one, but certainly one they can win. Um, A&M looks more winnable than it, it did at the beginning of the year, but uh, Kellen Mond seems to be a different quarterback at home than he is on the road. So um, it's still not going to be easy to go in there and find a way to win. And then, you know, who knows with Clemson, they, they don't really have a whole lot of, of uh, tough games between now and when they come to Columbia. So, uh, but they, they certainly got a scare over the weekend against North Carolina and don't look unbeatable. Um, not certainly don't, don't take that the wrong way that I'm predicting South Carolina to beat Clemson. But, um, but, but I think Clemson has some issues. And and I'm not sure they're as good this year as as they were expected to be in the preseason. They could get things figured out over these next five or six games, and 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 be that good by the time they come to Columbia. But uh, but I, I do think they have some weaknesses right now that that teams have exploited. I think one thing for fans out there, if you're kind of looking at some some keys, and you know, you can never really predict games best based on other games. But if you want to get kind of a sense on how South Carolina could possibly match up with Clemson. As far as the Gamecocks' offense versus Clemson's defense, watch the watch the Carolina Florida game because Grantham's going to send the house at you. And Brent Venables this year is blitzing, 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 blitzing. Um, that's kind of their thing, and their defensive line doesn't get as much penetration as it once did. Like alone, they're still good. Um, so you know, Gamecocks move it up and down the field against the Gators pretty pretty well at home. They could probably do it against the Tigers. So we'll see. How that goes, but I may be completely wrong about that. <laughs> so, don't get mad at me. So, anyway, all right. Well, um, that's all the time we have today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, bi week edition. We'll be back uh, next week as we get ready for the big game between the hedges. Uh, thank you for all for subscribing. You can subscribe to this podcast actually on Spotify now Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Play, the Stitcher app. Uh, most of the places you can find podcasts. This is a 24-7 sports podcast, so check out the 24-7 sports podcast page for this and other outstanding podcasts for specific teams and specific sports. So for Tony Morrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy 
a weekend free of Gamecock football, everyone.